Hello, <clears throat> my name is Michael Trainer, and I'm delighted to present uh, to you this um, series of talks, this series of presentations on the Gospel according to Matthew for liturgical year A. And in this first session, I'd like to reflect uh, just generally about the Gospel. Um, this is a frontispiece from a gospel book from Linda's Farm, showing Matthew scribing the gospel, uh, Huggius Matthias, uh, an angel above him, and this character steering, staring at him behind the curtain. Who this character is? Is it Jesus? Is it another gospel writer? Is it the? Is it a symbolic representative of the? gospel household that uh, Matthew was writing for, who knows. Uh, and then um, the, the two questions that we'll be um, reflecting on, both in this session and the next one, is the context of Matthew's gospel, but also putting this throughout the whole time of our sessions in dialogue with our context, what's going on in our world that warrants uh, this gospel. So art has been a great provider of theological reflection. This 9th century Ibo gospel shows Matthew very active, very creative, uh, very energetic in writing the gospel. Um, and this one from Caravaggio, in typical Caravaggio style with light and darkness, uh, light illuminating the figures of both of Matthew and the angelic being, uh, and precisely dictating, it seems, to Matthew what to write down with pen poised. There's a certain awe or reverence that Matthew has. And then there's this other Caravaggio painting, the calling of St. Matthew with light coming uh, over the shoulder of Jesus, who is on the right of the screen, pointing towards Matthew, slumped over a table, perhaps counting the coins of the taxation. So it's this image, uh, this image of Matthew as the tax collector has been uh, dominant, one could say, in popular understanding of Matthew. And there's, there's this one here, this... Uh, very uh, simple piece of art, not seven, again, 17th century of an angel holding an inkwell into which um, Matthew dips the pen to write the manuscript of the gospel. So this is art, these are artists reflecting on who Matthew is. What we'll be doing is stepping into the world of Matthew's, the Matthew's world of the Mediterranean the Mediterranean context of the gospel written towards the end of the first century. But I'll be saying more about this uh, as we think uh, about the, the gospel and its context. I just want to move towards an analogy <clears throat> of trying to understand what a gospel is, and particularly Matthew's gospel. And I'd like to take up a story that comes from my own family. My dad, Laurie, uh, who's since died, 
uh, made chutney or tomato relish, red tomato relish. The trainers travelled or came from Ireland to Australia in the mid-19th century and they settled in the mid-north of South Australia uh, at a place that is called Gadina. It's in this area here, delineated by this purple border. And uh, it's in here, particularly around a place called Kadena, which is just north of this, uh, the words, the Copper Coast. The area is known for its copper production in the 19th, early 20th century. And it's here they settled as farmers from Ireland. And my dad was born at a place called Butte, which is on the road leading towards Adelaide, but uh, towards the northeast of Kadena. And it's here that dad <clears throat> was born, uh, grew up uh, from here, he married. Uh, and after dad died, we were keen, the family members were keen to taste dad's famous chutney. Here's a recipe from 1969. And you notice it's in pounds. Um, and all the recipe says is uh, boil for an hour and salt overnight, whatever that means. Of course, dad knew what the recipe was and he knew what, what were the ingredients to make this tomato, red tomato, relish or chutney. Mum later um, transcribed that into more legible writing and added then a recipe, an explicit recipe. And you can see where uh, my dad has, has kind of uh, made sure that the recipe is corrected. He's added the word vinegar and he's ticked the various elements of it to ensure that these were correct. Later, uh, when we were going through the scrapbook of recipes, we came across then another recipe that dad had written, um, this time without the explication of ingredients or how to go about it, but converting pounds to kilograms. So there was this adaptation taking place to the recipe. Then after dad's death, I went on the internet and discovered a, a similar uh, recipe and I too made adjustments in the light of dad's original recipe. And according to the tasters later, they thought this was pretty, pretty close. So when I think of um, what's happened, kind of the dynamic of this, so the trainers come to Kadena into South Australia, uh, a recipe dealing with chutney grows, perhaps it's from my great grandmother or from my grandmother uh, at Butte in the 1900s. Um, Dad inherits this. He adapts it to new circumstances when they went into decimal currency and metric. And then later I adapt it again, recreate the recipe uh, after Dad dies for, and I make it gluten-free for people who are gluten intolerant. So I adapt the recipe as well. Um, after dad died, his sister, not long after he died, his sister died. And at the 
funeral, my cousin produced a jar of authentic trainer recipe chutney. But what was different about the chutney that she produced was it was green, green tomato chutney. So when I think about this, if I was to ask which of the two, the red tomato chutney or the green tomato chutney, which was the two, which of the two was more authentic? I'd, you'd have to say both were. Both were adaptations uh, to the recipe according to the circumstances in which the recipe developed. Now, I've used this as a metaphor, as a way of trying to understand the formation of the Second Testament and the formation of the Gospels, and particularly Matthew's Gospel. So an event occurs, and this event is the story of Jesus. That story gets passed on orally. And uh, on the death of those who are the oral bearers, um, a recipe is formulated. One could call it the, the gospel itself. The gospel gets formulated by those who knew Jesus and finally gets committed uh, to writing and is adapted to the new context in which the gospel is being remembered. And what happens is there's, there's a, a recognition of fidelity in this adaptation to the original story of Jesus. The adaptation is designed to make the story of Jesus relevant for a new audience, never envisaged, of course, by the first generation of Jesus' disciples. And uh, there are other adaptations, other gospel traditions that develop. So when, I, when you put this together chronologically and you think of the story of Jesus around the 30s, then there are communities of Jesus' followers after his death and resurrection that seek to make the story of Jesus pertinent and address new search situations. And the first person that does this is Paul. Paul's letters are the first writings we have of the Second Testament. But in the meantime, other communities, other households of Jesus' followers develop. And the first gospel comes into being, namely the gospel of Mark. Mark's gospel is, uh, brings together the narrative of Jesus, faithful to the story of Jesus from the 30s, and gets reshaped orally until it's put, committed into writing around the 70s. But other stories of Jesus are in other households of Jesus' followers. In the meantime, Paul dies. Uh, others write in the name of Paul as though Paul were alive and would be addressing new situations that Paul himself didn't have to deal with. And so as time moves on, other Gospels, two other Gospels, Luke and Matthew, come into being with their own traditions that come from the story of Jesus. And these Gospels are shaped essentially by Mark's narrative, though with alteration and adaptation, and also with the addition of sayings that come from, uh, well, hypothetical source, which German scholars have called Quelle, Q, the Q source. So you could say that there are three traditions that have shaped Matthew and Luke, the Gospel of Mark, the Q tradition of sayings, and uh, 
traditions that stem from the historical Jesus that don't get absorbed into, uh, into Mark's gospel. And as time moves on, other writings appear in different parts of the Mediterranean world that stem from Jesus' followers as they seek to honour the story of Jesus. So when I reflect then on the growth of the Second Testament, it begins with Jesus. Uh, his story is remembered by the first community, first disciples. They spread the message. Households of disciples form around the Mediterranean world. Uh, they're dealing with new pastoral issues as followers of Jesus in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, in the first instance, Paul writes to them, responding to their issues. Uh, and, and then later, the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, Luke's second volume, uh, is written. Other letters of Paul, uh, other epistles, uh, the Apocalypse, and then towards the end of the first century, the, the final gospel, the gospel of, uh, the gospel of um, John is uh, penned to a different community. So thinking of the formation of the gospels, one could talk about three moments. The first moment is, of course, when Jesus himself acts and speaks in word and deed to an audience uh, in Galilee and then uh, also in Jerusalem. So Jesus' own um, mission and ministry is adapted to the circumstances and the audience that he's addressing. On his death and resurrection, the disciples move out into the great Greco-Roman world. And uh, as they do so, they too adapt and speak to the audiences that they are addressing. They are they shape the language to this new audience, a non, predominantly non-Jewish audience. And then in the final stages, uh, on the death of these founding preachers or those who knew the founding preachers, uh, the Gospels come into being. So when you think of Matthew's Gospel, we're looking at a Gospel written around the mid-80s of the first century, uh, reflective of these moments that the gospel narrative has gone through so when i think of then mark as the primary gospel has influenced both luke and matthew luke and matthew draw on this hypothetical q source the saying source but they have also traditions that are unique to uh, both of them that stem from the their own memory that has been carried on into their communities by those who knew Jesus or knew the disciples, the first generation of Jesus' disciples. So a final point is then how Mark has been reshaped by Matthew. When you think of Mark's story, it begins with John the Baptist, then it moves into Jesus' Galilean ministry, his journey to Jerusalem, and then it ends with his the story of his death and resurrection. Matthew receives this tradition, but shapes it, adding a birth story at the beginning and adding Easter stories at the end of the gospel, and then inserting into the gospel outline of Mark five sermons, uh, 
the great sermon in Matthew 5 to 7, a sermon on discipleship in chapter 10, the parable sermon in chapter 13, uh, in chapter 18, uh, teaching dealing with um, relationships amongst uh, the community of disciples, particularly difficult times. And then in chapter 24 to 25, uh, Matthew draws on um, Mark's so-called apocalyptic chapter and then uh, adds to it as well. So that's the end time sermon. So these reflections then offer kind of a background to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. In our next section, we'll go more deeply into the, the background of the Gospel and back uh, and into the context in which to understand what's happening in, in Matthew's Gospel.